Welcome to episode 33 of the Opinion Overload podcast. I would like to preface this episode by saying a few things. This is our first guest episode, and of that I am incredibly proud. I had quite the fun time hosting Dr. Ramos, and unfortunately, while it wasn't the best of circumstances, it was quite enjoyable. Now, secondarily, this episode was recorded on one microphone. So it's not the best audio quality we could have produced, but I had a last-minute error that necessitated it. As of the next episode, it's resolved, and we have the two mics set up down at this point. And finally, to go over the general topics of this episode, we start off with some warm-up questions that get myself and the audience acquainted to some of Dr. Ramos's professional practices and philosophies, and eventually we go into views on powerlifting, which I know we talk about all the time on the podcast, but... I ended up getting there. And we also talk about jujitsu for probably the latter half of the podcast, since that is something he is very involved in, and I am quickly finding myself incredibly involved in. I hope you enjoy episode 33 of the podcast. So you're in the Navy for a little bit, but besides that, I don't know very much about your background and how you got into sports performance. What led you to getting into rehab and all that? So, so when I was in the Navy, I was actually a helicopter mechanic. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was in the Navy is when I started to train jiu-jitsu a ton and um, started competing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the Navy was my job, but jiu-jitsu was kind of my life. Um, and then um, I was competing a ton, and then all of a sudden I hurt my hip at one point in time. And it was the first time that I experienced an injury that would like actually keep me off the mats. Like I was like legitimately concerned. It was like interfering with my quality of life, uh, mm-hmm. my ability to train. Um, and when injuries happen, you don't know what's going on. It's a mystery. It really sucks. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of scary, you know? Um, anyways, Nick, um, I interrupt you, but that, uh, I can hear that. Okay. So just back off of it a little bit. Yeah. And then I, um, uh, I tried everything. I went through the regular Navy medical process, mm-hmm. which um, most people that have been involved in the military know it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through PT. I went to all the docs in there multiple times. Nobody could figure out what was going on. Um, I went to a bunch of people out in town. I went to PTs. I went to acupuncturists. I went and tried everything. I tried massage. Um, I tried a couple different chiropractors. N- frankly, everybody sucked. Like knowing what I know now, nobody really gave me a chance. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up just going through the Navy PT process, which they were just babying me, not treating me like an athlete at all. You know, it was like the simple stuff. Um, they put me in a pool with a bunch of geezers, mm-hmm. and I was doing pool therapy, and I was just churning water up. Um, ended up having surgery, um, and in my hip, still didn't really get better. Got in contact with a chiropractor who did strength-based rehab type stuff, and he like kind of helped guide me a little bit. And then he was also the first person to actually spend time listening to my story and approaching my situation um, based on my needs and my capabilities and my goals. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was like, "All right, well, you know, I kind of had before that. I was I was I was planning and already getting ready to get out of the Navy and do jiu-jitsu full time. Just give it a go. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Get out of the Navy." I was going to spend at least a year or two competing and just doing jiu-jitsu full-time and just uh, doing that scene where it goes. I mean, I wasn't the greatest competitor, but it was going to be a fun two years, if anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I decided, all right, well, like my path can change, kind of hit like 
hit something where I found my calling and I decided that, you know, because of chiropractor, I experienced that with. Now, you know, there's various practitioners who are great, but it just so happened to be the, the one that I came in contact that was good was a chiropractor. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I got out of the Navy and I started going to school. Um, I had no college experience whatsoever. Like before I got out of the Navy, I was practicing long division, like, um, in the evenings, like, cause I was scared to death of going to school again. Mm-hmm. I was the grease monkey, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I started going to school, went to school, uh, to become a chiropractor, got a chiropractic school. And then I realized that I needed more education outside of what they had to offer in chiropractic. So I started um, studying a whole lot more. Outside. I, I, I talked like I got three educations throughout the whole period of time. Mm-hmm. I got my, uh, I was doing chiropractic. I'm a, my master's in sports medicine. It was exercise and sports science, but it was the focus was sports medicine. And then I also um, flew all over the country so I can learn from a bunch of smart people. Mm-hmm. So I did a whole bunch of that. So it's kind of like three three different education tracks, but that was kind of what I did mm-hmm. and how I ended up here. Um, before I showed up here, mm-hmm. I spent about 10 months trying to fix the problem on my own. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I gravitated around that never, you know, I never really had a lot of information about it, but all the information I found about it was this machine will change your life and make everything better was the reverse hyper. Mm-hmm. And you have a very oppositional standpoint on that. Not opposition. Against the grain of what most people think about it. Yeah. Why do you say the reverse hyper is an overhyped machine Uh versus, and what is its actual purpose? Right. So I wouldn't say that the the reverse hyper is overhyped, but it has a lot of hype. Mm -hmm. The reverse hyper is a great machine, Mm -hmm. but it's a tool, Mm -hmm. right? And um, like any other tool, it needs to be for the right job. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, if you know, um, low back strength and glute strength is a significant detriment to um, what they do, which potentially could um, be a reason that they're having back pain. Mm -hmm. Adding that in is essentially accessory work, um, can be significant for them, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, for other people and other predicaments of back pain, it could be the opposite of what they need. Mm -hmm. It could make things worse. Um, without, especially if they're using it and they don't know how to use it correctly. So, um, the reverse hyper is good, but it's like, it's an, it's, it's just a tool, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and since back pain is not a one size fix all thing, I mean, you, you've experienced it, you know, there's different things we do for different situations and different ways of, uh, the body responds to. And so it just happens to be one of those things where it has the potential to make things worse but it also has the potential to be the exact input that the person needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as it being marketed as this um, back pain piece of gold, mm-hmm. it just isn't that. And that's what I meant by that. So I don't think it's necessarily, it's not a hype, it's a good tool, mm-hmm. but there's a lot behind it, it being popular behind strength-based athletes because a lot of these guys, when it comes to deadlifts and squats and stuff like that, is where they're hurting their back, mm-hmm. right? And it's an accessory machine for, you know, the posterior chain and for the back. And if you get a stronger back and then you go back and you do squats or deadlifts and stuff like that, might be less prone to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can go into a bunch of other stuff when it comes to pain and strength in general um, and, and the way the pain works in the body. But, um, yeah, I think the reverse hyper is a quality tool, but it's, it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all uh, mm-hmm. uh, correction for back pain. 
So the most interesting thing to me about your practice as a whole is that I, I've been to chiropractors and I've been to, you know, all this PT type of stuff. And it's a very, like, flow chart based system. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you have back pain, so we're going to give you banded stretches or whatever. And when I came here, you had a very unusual model of, okay, I'm going to give you a weight, and then you're going to lift it, and we're going to see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And everyone I went to beforehand was like, oh, you got to stop lifting weights altogether. Right. So if this model is so much more effective that you're practicing, why is that not the standard? Right. The, um, I would say that while I do spend a lot of time working with people like yourself, like I, I like the strength-based rehab mm-hmm. type thing, right? My model more so even than that is giving the person what they need according to the goals that they have, you mm-hmm. know? So if you came in here and like strength training and being strong and like doing jiu-jitsu wasn't in your goals, we would have done something totally different, but it mm-hmm. just so happened to be there. Um, I think the um, the reason that most people don't use the model of goal-oriented, personalized type stuff is because it's easier not to think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same reason that jujitsu guys in the gi don't like doing footlocks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just easier to avoid the shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, and people do get better doing general stuff. You know, um, but I think just. Uh, like any profession, like teachers that have tenure that just show up to collect the check and mm-hmm. use the same notes from 1980. There's practitioners that are doing the same thing. They're showing up to collect checks. Mm-hmm. And there's a population of people that it helps, you know? So why change it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the problem. That's why it's not fully implemented. And it's just a matter of, the, I mean, like any other education system, our education system in healthcare is frankly just not up to par either mm-hmm. you know so in my opinion to sum it all up it comes down to people refusing to think you know that's generally a big problem mm-hmm. in any field right so yeah yeah i was in i started lifting again a couple of days ago and i was interested in the results of it because you told me instead of doing back squats and loading my back doing split squats mm-hmm. i did those with 60 pounds in each hand mm-hmm. and i thought i originally was going to grab 80s and i was like i'm strong i can do that right and i picked up 80s and i was like i don't want to do that today Right. That doesn't feel like a, doesn't feel fun. And I was more sore from three sets of five with 120 pounds total mm-hmm. than I'd ever been from three sets of eight with 315. Right. That was really interesting to me, mostly because of coming from a traditional strength and conditioning background where it's like, yeah, you just got to get heavier to get stronger. Right. Instead of, you don't really have to hurt yourself to get stronger. That Absolutely. Was, <laughs> that was pretty interesting, especially transitioning to powerlift from powerlifting into uh, jujitsu where I had to realize that just because I'm the strongest person in the room doesn't mean I'm going to win matches. Right. And that, that humbled me a lot when I show up and I'm 230 and there's this guy who's 130 pounds who's ruining my life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And now I've lost weight and I feel considerably stronger Mm. and I'm trying to get better at jujitsu. Um, your strength and conditioning methodology is unconventional to a degree. What pushed you into that that area? Um, the uh, I wouldn't call it unconventional. I would mm-hmm. call it goal oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, the I still program back squats for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have people do deadlifts. Um, but um, is the movement that we're doing gonna 
have the right risk reward ratio for the person in question yourself and is it going to accomplish the same goals that we're looking for you know mm-hmm. um so for you we're looking to get you strong and stuff like that do we need to you know you've aggravated your back doing back squats mm-hmm. what's the goal is the goal to make sure that we're doing back squats is the goal to get stronger so you can get better at jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. we have a whole bunch of other things that we can do that get you strong um so it's really just about finding the right tool for the right situation for that person and achieving that goal. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when it comes to strength conditioning, people are unwilling to remove the, um, the methodology um, that they're using and lose sight of the goal, right? Mm-hmm. They think that you have to go that way in order to achieve it. Yeah. And uh, I would say that maybe I try to just stay as goal-oriented as possible, mm-hmm. you know, um, in doing that. Uh, back squat's still a great thing to do, mm-hmm. um, but you know, can we do something that's a little bit more sustainable for that person in that moment? Mm-hmm. You know, I transitioned out of a kinesiology degree in terms of business, mm-hmm. mostly because I figured out, or one of my mentors told me that I'd be better off with it. Mm-hmm. And you know someone that I'm particularly interested in, mm-hmm. and that's the Kabuki Strength Team, oh, yeah. and their doctor—I don't remember his name. You learned a lot from him. Right. Um, what specifically about that group mm-hmm. and how successful they are and how mm-hmm. low of injury rates they have? Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that and what could lead to? Well, I think that, uh, well, so uh, my my biggest mentor mm-hmm. is Dr. Phillips now. Mm-hmm. Now, he's had a lot to do with uh, with Chris Duffin. He's influenced their team quite a bit. Um and so that's where a lot of the information, and then through that, I've had an opportunity to learn from, uh, from Chris Duffin on various occasions mm-hmm. um, and learn alongside him, right? Um, but I think what makes the biggest difference with them is that they are starving for knowledge. <laughs> and and um, I mean, I can't really speak too much to the powerlifting community as a whole because I don't mm-hmm. have a super, I'm not super in depth into that, in that community, but I just know these guys, and I, and I know from being a, a a knowledge junkie myself and being alongside them mm-hmm. at all these different events or going to Kabuki Shrink Lab to mm-hmm. attend continuing education events. Mm-hmm. And I think when it just comes down to it is that these guys are taking a very cerebral approach to training as a whole. And I mean, let's be honest, they're just really good yeah. businessmen as well. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're smart. They know how to, um, you know, attract mm-hmm. the population. Being involved in powerlifting for mm-hmm. about a year, two years, the thing that turns me off most about the community is that there will be people with a good amount of knowledge, not exceptional knowledge, right. and then they just become like these deities for everyone else. Right. And there's a few standouts, like Chris Duffin is one of them, mm-hmm. and uh, Boris Shako is another one. These people who have essentially written the Bible on like powerlifting programming and all that, Right. And all this like deviation to it. I remember I trained in a gym around here, and there's people there who are just, just jacked up on PEDs, and mm-hmm. most of their strength training is like 1980s, bigger, faster, stronger. We're just going to do reps until we die. Right. That was something that I started to realize was unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, the powerlifting, before I got into it, there was a guy, another gym I trained at was specifically for football. And he told me, don't get into powerlifting until you're like 45 or 50. <laughs> and I was like, why? And he's like, it's an old man's sport. No one, funny. no one who's healthy powerlifts. Uh-huh. And I didn't listen to him. And yeah. 
not have an injured back, but yeah. it was it was kind of interesting to me specifically because I was so into it, and once I started to see the the darker side of it mm-hmm. of what really goes on and how most of the elite lifters are on PEDs and mm-hmm. it's all like oh we're just gonna get this belt better we're gonna get these stronger knee wraps to get the better lift like it mm-hmm. it became like almost political because then there's these whole camps of oh we only do front squats to get our deadlift stronger and we put the this I don't think you're gonna believe this what there was a, a guy in the gym I trained at who was doing safety squat bar front squats right where he would put the collar of the bar like that that pad on the front of him yeah and he was essentially loading himself in a back squat right yeah and he was like oh yeah this is how you get strong I was like, you're just doing back squats <laughs> it, just, it just looks better because you're filming it for Instagram but you're just doing back squats uh-huh. and it's like I wanted something more more conflict right mm-hmm. essentially powerlifting has Sam and I talk about this all the time and everyone who listens is probably mad at me because I'm talking about it again right but I don't want more internal conflict because I already have enough of that. Yeah. I want someone to like try and choke me out and I have to figure out how to defend that. Right. And I transitioned into jujitsu, which we were talking about Studio 540 earlier right. and that they're a big sponsor for all kinds of athletes. Right. And I think it's interesting, specifically in jujitsu, about how there's also like camp divides. Oh, right. Big time. You know, the, the best one is the Gracie 10th Planet thing mm-hmm. about how this no-gi system comes out and Eddie Bravo who is a jiu-jitsu genius mm-hmm. beats uh, Hickson no Hoyler. not Hickson Hoyler Gracie mm-hmm. twice twice oh, Hoyler, yeah, yeah, Hoyler yeah, claims yeah. it was a draw but oh, the second one yeah, 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 yeah the yeah, Metamorphs yeah. one yeah which that's how I get people into jiu-jitsu into jiu-jitsu right. I send them that video and just say watch that right but it's almost like you get you're happy to get your ass kicked oh right? most definitely <laughs> and i was never excited about that in any other sport yeah like i played football and if, if that happened they're like oh uh, you gotta line up and hit yourself again i was like i don't want more brain damage yeah it you i don't know you're a brown belt or a black oh, belt oh no i'm a purple belt okay you're a purple belt yeah i'm on the long i'm on the long I, plan i uh <laughs> i grossly underestimate like overestimate people oh yeah, just yeah. because i'm still a definite white belt and I'll just be like oh that guy's really good he choked me out that guy's probably a brown belt I've been a purple belt for six years that's a long time yeah yeah. most for people who listen who don't know the average like amount of time for somebody to get a black belt is like 10 years right yeah it depends on where you're going from and how much you train and all that Mm -hmm. stuff just me with school and inconsistency jujitsu is all about consistency Mm -hmm. in that time and for me, that break and then going off and going to school mm-hmm. was just, it ruined my consistency. It, so, may, it, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it yesterday because you know a lot more than me, but a lot of the problem that I have with 10th Planet specifically, I love the system in general, mm-hmm. but it doesn't suit itself very well to heavyweights and people who like to stand up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because everyone I've rolled with, they start in like the open guard. Right. And I'm like, I please just stand up so I can take you down. Totally. Please. Yeah. Because I've noticed a lot of competition stuff. People start, they start you standing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, every competition you start standing. So that, it, it kind of doesn't make uh, sense to me. And if somebody decides to sit down, mm-hmm. and in some competitions you're not allowed to just sit down. 
see that that would be an effective rule, right? Because uh-huh. it's it's almost one of the best ways to defend yourself. It seems like to me. What's that? To sit down and just open card. According to those rules. Yeah. But not. Yeah. I mean, if you peel it away, I'm a. So first of all, I'm a butt scooter mm-hmm. through and through, right? And mm-hmm. my wrestling is not great. I'm not mm-hmm. afraid to wrestle. Uh, I'm just not good at it, and it's more effective for me to mm-hmm. sit down and then then just scoot around like. Uh, I'm a dog with uh, with problems, right? But um, but truth be told, I mean, if we're being honest about it, mm-hmm. what's the mo- more efficient way is to just get good at wrestling, mm-hmm. you know? And if, if, if we're talking about jiu-jitsu as a martial art, like, we'd probably be better not being on the floor, mm-hmm. right? Probably be, yeah. So, I mean, but, but with that being said, like, you know, it depends on where you come from and who you train with and what you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. you know? The go- for some people, I mean, like, I know people that can wrestle really well. They just like to pull guards so they can initiate action right away. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, it depends on where you're at, um, depending on who you're competing with, people will stay on the feet as a way to disengage in order to just pick away at points and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, and, and, and go for time. So in some cases, it's just a way to engage, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, makes sense too. It's, I wrestled the other day it was it was a role with um the wrestling coach 10th planet mm-hmm. and that match was more exciting to me than right. any of the other ones i've had because oh, yeah. i i come from a wrestling background right so it's more it's fun like, for you because you get to, to do be, something you're good at <laughs> i want to be standing he was much better at wrestling yeah. than i was but i like to stand mostly because it's more comfortable position for me uh-huh. and I, I understand that people who come from jujitsu backgrounds especially 10th planet which is a lot about open and rubber guard are like I should probably start here so I can get to rubber guard, open guard, or whatever guard I want to be right. in faster. Where I might change over time and get there, but I don't want to because mm-hmm. I just I like standing a lot more. It's it's kind of odd, and so it makes perfect sense to me. Well, yeah, just I'm just the black sheep in jujitsu. <laughs> like when it just depends on where you're at. It really depends on where you're at. When, when in 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 Portland. When I was training there with, mm-hmm. with Fabiano Scherner and those guys mm-hmm. at Team Quest before they left and started Gracie Baja Portland, uh, you weren't allowed to pull guard. And we had a big enough mat space where you didn't need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, so all roles started standing. That was, that's something that, especially with wrestling, mm-hmm. when we would practice, we would have competition size mats to ourselves. Right. So we had like a 13 foot by 13 foot space yeah. just for ourselves. Totally. And I've had to get used to not having that space now because uh, Tenth Planet San Diego, small rolling space. Right. Like you can be rolling here and there's someone right here. Right. And it's like, ugh. Even though I get it's space concerns, I'm used to being in a like massive like ring just for myself. Right. And it, it I wish there was more space, but there, there's not. It just there can't be. And to a degree, having that small space teaches you to get really good at being in close quarters and operating certain certain well, techniques. Well, it forces you to engage. It forces yeah. you to do more work. Mm-hmm. You know, except like the first month I was there, I would start in one corner of the gym and end the roll in the other corner of the gym. Yeah, yeah, that's how I I, I tend to do that myself a lot at five forty. The thing I'm worried about now is the context of how many people in, that listen actually do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. But I like talking about it, right? Because it's it's, I've gotten obsessed with it now. Totally. And I was thinking about it this morning. How my pathway worked out, mm-hmm. and it was 
it was supposed to be football. Like I was supposed to be college ball player, like all that, because the level of coaching afforded to me was uh, your dad, it, right? It was an, he's a high, super high level coach. I can't hear it, so you're good. I uh, if I if I was about it and I loved it as much as him, mm-hmm. I would have definitely been a college recruit. Right. But then it just once I got in there, it was like uh, this doesn't really excite me as much. Totally. And then I got to wrestling. I was like, this is fun. I really <laughs> like this. And then I kind of got stuck out of it because of football again. Uh-huh. And you know, I just going through football. I was like, eh, whatever. I sent out recruiting tapes. I wasn't going to get recruited. And then I was looking around for wrestling teams. There's no wrestling teams in San Diego. Mm-hmm. No one uh, no one likes it in the West Coast. It's like if you're in Iowa, it's all you do. Right. And then I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast, and I, he mentioned uh, Boogeyman, Richie Martinez. Right. I was like, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to figure it out. And I don't do things. Like, if I, if I figure out something and I like it, I'm like, I'm going to be the world champion. And it's just how it happens. Right. So now I'm trying to figure out how do I get there, right? ADCC, all that stuff. I've watched a lot of video, but it's almost like a, I can't understand it, mm-hmm. you know? You mean like online YouTube type stuff? No, I've watched like competition at a high level. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just can't understand it. Like, okay. I know what's going on. Right. But I don't, like, the way it flows mm-hmm. is almost like too much for me to understand right now. That makes sense. I, you probably know this better than me. You probably understand it better than me. Like, what is that, that transition mm-hmm. from understanding what an armbar is mm-hmm. to knowing I can get that from anywhere on the mat. Oh, uh, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but the thing about jiu-jitsu that I like to always say is that the, the cool thing is is that it takes a long time to learn how to even learn jiu-jitsu. Elaborate. So um, you're going to hit a point when you're training where, you know, I mean, learning things is hard. Learning techniques is hard. But mm-hmm. then you're going to hit a point where it's like your ability to filter or just consume that information and knowledge is significantly easier. Mm-hmm. It just gets easier to see something and you're able to execute it. Like the control, you're able to do it. You're able to process that. It, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's like when your dog hits six months and decides not to pee in the house anymore. You know what I mean? It just happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know. But like it's the um, it, it just takes time to learn how to learn jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And once it, that process, and some people it happens faster, some people it happens less, you know takes a little bit longer, um, which really just comes down to consistency. Mm-hmm. But um, once that happens, it significantly accelerates your ability to consume the information and implement it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that um, it has to be systematic too, like sy- systematic implementation of techniques. It needs to be, te- te- it really needs to come down to principles. The best way that I've seen is, um, when, when you're learning from somebody is when it's based on principles, not methods, mm-hmm. right? So you can learn a million and a half moves, but if you don't know the principles of this position and, and, and what to or not to do or what to avoid, mm-hmm. then your, your million moves will work when you can catch somebody off guard. Mm-hmm. But when you can do whatever the hell you want to this person and they know it's coming, that's when mm-hmm. you know like your moves, that's when you know you got shit down. You know? That was, my wrestling coach was all about that. He was like, yeah, you could learn 20,000 moves mm-hmm. you only need like three to win right yeah. and I'm trying to get that now a lot of my game is just side control and mount mm-hmm. but I, I'll get there 
and then I'll try to go for an Americana, and they're just locking the arm in, mm-hmm. and I can't get it. And I'll go for the Ezekiel choke, but I don't have... I can get the one side cut off, but I can't right. dig the shoulder in to get there, mm-hmm. or I can't, like... We're working on a choke cast, I forget what it's called. It's like a north-south north, choke, but from side control. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't sink that in because I couldn't get the overhook, like, control of it. Mm-hmm. It was... It's going to take a long time. (laughs) And then, really, I mean, when you see uh, high-level stuff, a lot of times it's not... They look like they're going for one move, but they're not going for that move. They're they're creating a reaction out of the other person in order to open up other windows of opportunities and stuff like that. And that's a big part of it, too. You know, once you start putting those chains together, like, I mean, I go for Americanas on the mat all the time, but I'm never going for an Americana. You know? (laughs) Like, like I'll do it. It's like a front. Like, you know, I'll pretend to do a lot of things but mm-hmm. not really going for it you know and that's what's cool about it too that that's probably something i haven't learned yet set traps dude because i'm just like i'm gonna try and push your arm over your head right i might get there if i don't i'm gonna be stuck here like the roll i had yesterday uh-huh. i was just stuck in mountain like trying to get the, the choke for five minutes right right but it was like you got some reps in that position mountain side control are things i'm not particularly threatened in mm-hmm. because if i the only people who threaten me in that position, like, there are people who do that right. are in the lighter weight classes, mm-hmm. but mostly the people who do are the heavier guys because mm-hmm. they're strong enough to get me out of there. But then it's like, if I'm rolling with a 180, mm-hmm. I can kind of just lay there and work stuff. Right. And, you know, I wish there was more heavyweights. Like, there's a guy there who's like 260, mm-hmm. and I love to roll with him. Right. Because he's considerably stronger than me. Yeah. And it's like, I want to know how threatened I make some other people feel just because of my strength. For sure. Or how much I weigh. So when that guy's 216, I'm, now I've cut down to 216, I know what it feels like to be the lighter guy in that. Right. That's why I like rolling with heavier guys. And it's almost started to change the way I learn things because originally I was like, oh, you got to get these books, you got to get you know, instruction. And I feel like if you pick mentors that you're going to learn a lot more, which is kind of why I'm upset, the CSCS is gated behind a bachelor's degree. Oh, yeah. Like, I wish that you could go pick off, like, a list, right? And there was, like, 2,000 guys. And, like, go apply for an apprenticeship with him. Right. And you can learn strength and conditioning. You can learn sports medicine. That seems like it would be better. But then they put all behind the system of, yeah, you got to get this credit, and then you got to get these, and all that. And it's like... Well, all that aside, the CSCS um, is a piece of paper. And that process that you're talking about, mm-hmm. absolutely, is the number one way to become good at that in that field. Mm-hmm. Like um, the the um, when it comes to strength conditioning, those internships and applying and getting those mentors is absolutely um, the number one way mm-hmm. that people start emerging in the field as experts and really start learning. Like I can't can't express that enough. Like there's mm-hmm. uh, there's the CSCS is something that um, is useful and to um, so people know that you know mm-hmm. you know and, and that you're involved in stuff like that um, and it's a good like baseline but um, the best strength conditioning people out there have mentors or potentially have done an internship in some program mm-hmm. you know and uh, that's that's super important super important like if Somebody's done a mentorship here or internship at X place, but doesn't have a CSCS, you know, mm-hmm. 
uh, I would put more weight depending on that, you know, depending on the situation and stuff like that, than somebody who has a CSCS and has mm -hmm. never done an internship or something like that or doesn't have this kind of a background or a verif verified background in some sort of setting, mm -hmm. you know. A lot of the more people I talk to about it, mm -hmm. the more people tell me it's just like a high school degree. That oh, you know yeah. the you know the minimum to be in the field. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly it, what it is. It kind of bothers me to a degree mm -hmm. because it's like they put so much like around it. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, you can't get in the field if you don't have this. Right. Well, I think there's there's some people who just being around them mm -hmm. would give you that. Right, but I think it is a filter. It's a good quality filter. Like you know, yeah. It's like you at least know they've got this much invested into it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's, you know, it, 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 you do learn stuff by taking it, you know? Um, it's not hard if you have a kinesiology background, mm -hmm. but um, I think it is a good, like it's, like it's a good, it's just a good filter. It's a good indication of somebody that's invested and that's really involved in it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely value in it. The NSCA does do good things, but, um, but there's more to it, you know, mm -hmm. obviously. You know, there's more to it. I know people yeah. that don't have their CSCS that are awesome. You there's, know? like, I know off the top of my head, like, Mark Bell doesn't have one. Mm -hmm. He's, like, one of the better better powerlifters of all time. Yeah. I mean, that's the only one I know because I don't know a ton of people in the field. But right. there's people out there who just taught themselves. And I know a ton of chiropractors who aren't, um, who are, you know, very knowledgeable in strength-based rehab and don't have a CSCS because it's like, it just never bothered, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's it's um, you know it's just one of those things. I mean, uh, I enjoy learning and stuff like that, so I enjoy the process of getting it. Mm -hmm. But um, like, and it helps me. It helps me when I work with other professionals because mm -hmm. a lot of my referrals come from strength conditioning coaches, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it helps. It's just something there, so they know at least we speak the same language, mm -hmm. you know. But um, yeah, I don't. It's. I could. I don't need it, mm -hmm. but it's beneficial, you know. Um, we're running up to twelve fifty-eight. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to make just a closing statement or anything, how much time do you have left? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll just. It's all good. Let's all right. do this again. All right. Closing statement to be continued. <laughs> Opinion overload episode thirty-three. Signing out. <laughs>